the book of Numbers, and uh, we'll read uh, in a moment uh, chapter number 7, verse number 89. But uh, I want to read a couple of verses that we read last night in Exodus chapter 25. In verse 8, the Bible said, And let them make me a sanctuary, a holy place, that I might dwell among them. Isn't it wonderful that God wants to be among His people? He proved that by walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He emphasized it by putting this tabernacle here that He might house among the children of Israel as they come out of Egypt going into the wilderness. He further emphasized it when uh, the Bible said, Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifested himself in the flesh. He came, John said, and dwelled among us. And even further, when he indwelt us in salvation, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm glad God loves to company with his people. And uh, we're going to look at this tabernacle. We have used uh, these uh, Levites up here uh, to set this tabernacle up. Uh, the one that God had erected in the wilderness when the children of Israel came out. And of course, each piece of this tabernacle represents and says something about Christ. As a matter of fact, all the Bible is about Jesus. And uh, when he had this tabernacle uh, erected uh, in the outer court, uh, we noticed last night, and those that were here, you can help me out, he, he first, uh, he, he had placed there what was called a brazen altar. And that altar speaks of the passion of Christ, the shedding of his blood for the salvation of sinners. And then he placed there what was called a brazen laver. Had some water, we call it holy water. The priest would wash their hands. And then they would wash their feet before preceding beyond what was called a veil or a curtain. And they would step beyond that veil and that curtain and they would come into what was called the holy place. And inside that holy place, of course, uh, while we have seen that that altar speaks of the passion of Christ, of course this labor speaks of the purging or the purifying of Christ. He is our sanctification. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. But once you got into this holy place, there was a candlestick, a menorah. had seven different lights on it. And of course it speaks of Christ who is our revelation. Uh, he is our illumination. It is Jesus who has revealed to us who the Father is. He said, I am the light of the world. And if he hadn't come, there wouldn't have been any light. And then uh, there is what was called the table of showbread. It means to be ordered before the face of God. Uh, there was bread on there for the priests alone. It was cut into 12 pieces uh, representing the 12 tribes. It was to remain there fresh and the ingredients could not be used beyond this tabernacle. And of course, it speaks 
of Christ who is our provision. He is our substance. He is, the Bible said, the bread of life. It speaks of Christ. And then we take a step further and there was also in that tabernacle uh, what was called the altar of incense. They would take coals of fire from off of the outer altar, bring it in here. They had special spices that were blended together that, that were not to be found outside of this tabernacle either. And uh, they became a sweet-smelling savor constantly before the nostrils of God. Speaks of Christ who is our prayer and Christ who is our praise. He, he alone can speak to the Father. And uh, thank God the Bible said He has given to us the Spirit of His Son whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's Jesus in you speaking to His Father and praising His Father. And then there was another veil, another curtain, and you step beyond that. Of course, these boys wasn't in there, but when you step beyond that, it was called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place on earth. It was the place where God literally was and where He said, he would come down. And there in that place was the ark. It was called the ark of the testimony or the ark of the covenant. And God said to the children of Israel, He said, I will commune with you of all things. I will speak to you. But He said, when I commune with you and speak to you, I will only commune with you through one thing, and I will only speak to you through one thing, and that is through this ark. God spoke to Israel from off the ark. Now let's look in, the, in chapter number 7, uh, the text where we were looking at. The Bible tells us in verse number 89, and uh, it said that when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, now then he heard the voice of one speaking to him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony. God speaking from off this ark. Now, here's the emphasis. God only speaks through one. If you hear from God, you're going to only hear from Him through His Son. There's not, none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. He's given him a name that is above every name. He said when he was baptized, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They're going into a vast wilderness. There are going to be many needs that they're going to have. They're going to have needs as, uh, as far as direction is concerned. They're going to have physical needs as far as water and food is concerned. Uh, they're going to have social needs and, and uh, they're going to have, have needs as far as protection is concerned. And uh, the Lord said to the children of Israel, I'm going to make this journey simple. What I want you to do, know is, is that I'm going to meet all of your needs, but I will meet them through the box. And I call it a box because that's what the art, word ark means. It means a container or a box. Things have not changed. God still meets our needs through one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while all of these other 
pieces of furniture speak about the graces of Christ and the provisions of Christ, it seems as though this ark speaks of the person of Christ and how that God would supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I realize we're looking on troubled times, but we should not be surprised if we read the Bible. We realize that the end times would be troubled times. But I'm going to tell you, before these times ever got here, He did say that He would never leave us nor forsake us. And He did say that He would provide all of our needs. And He did say He was able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. And God was able to meet the needs of the children of Israel, approximately two million. But He said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to meet with you, but I'll meet with you in the box. Now here's what I'm preaching. Jesus is in the box, and He's all that you need in this day and age. Last night we preached on He's all that you need in His approachableness. Thank God we can get to the Father through Him. We can come to the Father. We have access through the Beloved, the Bible said, and I'm glad that that's so. That we can come boldly into the throne room of grace because He came after us. Now He can bring us into His presence. But tonight I want us to go a step further and I want to preach on this subject. Jesus is all that you need. Jesus is in the box. He's all that you need in His closeness. In His closeness. You see, Jesus not only takes care of things on the heavenly level, but He takes care of things on the earthly level. And He is able to minister to us in His closeness. Now, let me read uh, a few verses to you in the book of Numbers, if you'd like to turn chapter number 10. The Scripture said, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. Did you see how that's worded? They are headed out in this journey but the Bible said it is this ark. It's almost like it has a personality. It has a spirit and it searches out a resting place for them. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. I want to emphasize for a few moments tonight the closeness of Christ. The closeness of Christ. And how that he is all that you need and all that I need in his closeness. Got a preacher friend up in Kentucky. He's got a grandson, and he said one day they were in the basement. He said, I was working on something, and my grandson was four or five years old, and he was playing with a little toy truck or something of that sort. He said, I finished what I was doing, and I said to my grandson, let's go upstairs. He said, we made our way up the steps out into the kitchen. 
No sooner had we done that until my grandson looked up and he said, Grandpa, I left my toy in the basement. We need to go back and get it. And he said, I, I said to him, Now, son, you're old enough to go down there by yourself. And said, Just make your way down into the basement and get that toy. And said, uh, I'll wait on you here. And he said, No, Grandpa. But he said, I insisted. And he said uh, it was humorous the way he started down into the basement. He, he, he'd take a couple of steps and, and then he'd turn and look up at him and he'd say, Grandpa, or as he's turning, he'd say, Are you still there? And he said, Yeah, son, I'm here. You can see me. And he said he'd take two more steps and he'd turn around and look up and he'd say, Grandpa, are you still there? And he said, Yes, son, you can see me. He said inevitably he made himself to the bottom of the steps and he had to venture out of sight two or three steps. And He said, I watched and he got out of sight. And then I heard him say, and he had a little quiver in his voice. He said, Grandpa, are you still there? He said, I didn't say anything. I wanted to see what his response was. He, could say it. he said, then I could tell he was about in tears and, and he hollered back up the steps and he said, Grandpa, I've gone too far, ain't I? He said, I ran down those steps and picked up that little old boy and hugged him and said, No, son, I knew where you was all the time. You wasn't going too far. And aren't you glad? And haven't you been in those times when you felt like maybe the Lord was out of distance or maybe he wasn't hearing you or he wasn't understanding what you were going through and somehow you thought maybe, maybe you'd gone too far. I want you to know Jesus has assured us that there'll never come an hour or a day or a situation or a place where he will not be and cannot come if you are there because he said he would be there with you all the way. I'm glad he is, aren't you? Now, I want us to notice tonight how that, that this ark was all that the children of Israel needed in its closeness, speaking of Christ. Three things that I'm going to bring to your attention. The first one is found in the text that I've read to you. And I want you to notice with me first of all tonight that in the children of Israel's wilderness experience, and they were going out into this vast wilderness, in their wilderness experience, the ark would be all that they would need because it would be their map. It would be their map. Now, let's look at that again in Numbers chapter 10. And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them to search out a resting place. Now, what I'm emphasizing is the truth that the children of Israel have entered into this vast, empty wilderness. And they've never had any experience of being out there before. And there are no experts. And uh, there are no definite paths or there are no signposts. And there is so much that they're going to need. Uh, they're going to have to have some water pretty quick. I mean, there's close to two million of them. They're going to have to have something to eat. They need some bread or they need some flesh. They need something to eat. 
and uh, they're, they're going to need uh, they're going to need some protection from the enemy. There is so much that they're going to need out in this wilderness, but you have to understand they don't know anything about that wilderness. There's no one there qualified to to know where to take them and and what to do with them. But the Lord said, you don't have to worry about that. We won't need no experts on this journey. You won't have to read no books on this journey. And there won't have to be no know-it-alls. Because all I want you to do is I want you to get behind that box and that box knows where you need to go. And that box knows where the bread is. It knows where the water is. It knows what direction to take. You don't need to dart off and jump off on your little old uh, avenues and you don't need to follow your little old thoughts and you don't need to be tossed to and fro as the Apostle Paul said. But what you need to do is follow that ark. And whenever that ark moves, you move. And whenever that ark sets still, you sit still. That ark is your map, honey. Things haven't changed. I know there are a lot of voices in this world and a lot of decisions to be made. But honey, all you need to do is focus on Jesus and follow Him. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. See, that makes the Christian life so simple. Is all you got to do is just focus on the ark. Focus on Jesus and he knows the way. You say, how come he knows the way? Because he made the way. Somebody said, how he made the way? Because he is the way. Not only for my life, but for your life. And he said to the children of Israel, when you're in them tents and you get up one morning, you pull that curtain back. If that ark's moving, don't ask no questions. Get out of there and go. Yes, sir. But he said, if that ark's arresting, then don't get all tizzied up like you think you need to go somewhere. You just sit still and wait upon the Lord, and when he moves, you move. My son, you know, traveled all over the country, and my son bought me uh, one of those GPSs. Anybody got any of those? Well, he got me that thing, and I was in a meeting that week out in the country. And I didn't realize you could set it for country roads and you could set it for main routes. Well, when I got it and turned it on everything, it was set on main routes, which means it wants to go to the interstate. I don't care where the interstate's at. I didn't know that. So me and the wife got, and I was so proud of it, and I snapped it in up there, and I put where I wanted to go. And we hadn't gone, we had, when we pulled out the driveway, it said, take an immediate. And, and I looked at her, and I said, that ain't the right way. So I turned the other way. And then we went on out there, and it, them things are stubborn now. If you don't go the way they think you ought to go, they'll tell you to turn around and go back. That's how certain they are. So it said turn around and go back, but I didn't turn around and go back. So then it said rebooting. And it rebooted, but it, when it rebooted, it still wanted to take me the main route. It's about 40 minutes to that church and all those 40 minutes I never was aggravated. That thing was telling me, turn left, turn right, go back, turn... I know, finally, I think it said, just turn me off. You're not listening. <laughs> and besides that, I didn't know you could change it from a female's voice. I it was a female. I said, I don't got one woman telling me what to do. I'm not putting up with this. I'm not changing this thing. 
<laughs> I got an old deep male voice on there. Turn left. Something gruff. But I mean, it just, it, this way, that way, this way, that way. But I, I didn't understand the function there. I enjoy it now because I've sort of got in. I understand a little bit what it's, uh, what it's, it's trying to do. But, but what that thing is, is it's a GPS. Now, if I'm in a town and we got to go to the post office, I just hit it and know what town I'm in and I'll say, I need the post office. And I, you just get in the vehicle and say, turn right and turn left and turn. But I still have, you know how we are, especially men. We have, you know, trouble believing somebody else. We want to get lost every now and then just so we can say we made the decision. But uh, I thought about that GPS and what this ark became for the children of Israel. It was taking all the anxiety out of the choices on where to go and where to be so the needs could be met. And all you had to do was follow God's GPS, which was the ark. And all we got to do is follow the Lord. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen in the economy. He knows what's going to happen in your situation. Just follow Him. You see, He is the guide and He sets the gate. He knows the place and he sets the pace. Just get behind him, and if he's moving, go ahead, boys, you move. He knows where he's going in your life. And if he stops, stop, boys, you stop. He knows what he's doing in your life. Oh, don't that make the Christian life so simple? So simple because all you got to do is follow the box. Jesus is in the box. He's all that you need in, the, in his closeness. He's staying close enough to where you can follow him. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm glad he is, aren't you? Amen. Man, I'd hate to listen to NBC News, ABC News, Fox News, CNN, all them others to try to find out what I'm supposed to do with my life. No, just turn all that out. I like what one fellow said, left wing, right wing, they're both part of the same old bird. It don't matter. I'm telling you, none of them know what to do. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you who does know what to do with your life. <laughs> Jesus does. He said to Peter, cast the net on the other side. I said I've been fishing all night. And cast the net on the other side. <laughs> had to get help to pull all those fish out of there because he obeyed and followed the Lord. He is all you need in his closest because Jesus will be your map in your wilderness. Now the second thing that I want you to see is I want you to see that Jesus is in the box. He's all that we need in his closest because in our wilderness experience, when we can't figure it all out, He's our map. He knows where to go and he knows when to go. But the second thing that I want you to notice with me is found in the uh, book of Joshua. I want you to notice. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take you twelve men out of the tribes of Israel one out of every tribe, a man. It shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest that bear the ark of the Lord 
the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they that bear the ark were coming to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for the Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose upon and heap very far from the city of Adam, which is beyond Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bare the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Now, we've noticed that this ark, Jesus is in the box. He's all you need in his closest because he'll be your map in your wilderness. But I noticed the children of Israel not only have wilderness experiences, but they got water experiences. God has a promised land for them, but he leads them to a Jordan River. They're going to have to cross this Jordan to get over in to that promised land. Now, the question is, did the Lord mess up on his timing? Did he know what he was doing when he brought them there at this point in time? Have you ever wondered and ask the Lord, do you know what you're doing right now? I can believe you for yesterday. I can see that you were right for yesterday, but for where I'm at right now and for what's happening in my life today, I'm just worried, Lord, that, that uh, something's just gone bad wrong because the Scripture tells us that he led them to the Jordan River where they've got the cross at the time of the overflowing. It was when the Jordan was at its highest tide. Normally, the Jordan River, uh, when we were over there, Brother Wayne, that thing wasn't much over probably 20 foot, 30 foot wide in places. But I'm supposing during the times of the floods, when they come, waters come down out of Mount Hermon, that that thing could rise up and be uh, many hundreds of feet wide. And when they come to the Jordan, it looks to me like that God could have brought them there, not, not at the time of the flooding. He could have brought them, He could have brought them there six months earlier when maybe it was a little dry. And maybe they could have just made their way across that Jordan River. He really didn't even have to bring them across the Jordan. He could have took them up around Mount Hermon and brought them down into the promised land. But he didn't do that. Have you ever wondered why God brought them to that Jordan at such a time as he did? Can I tell you why? I want to tell you tonight that God never intends on His people becoming bored with Jesus. And the only way He's going to keep you from taking Jesus for granted is He's going to have to take you to some water experiences that are much deeper than you've ever handled. 
He's going to take you into some emotional experiences that somehow you're not going to be able to handle. He's going to take you into some financial circumstances that somehow you're not going to be able to handle. He has ways of bringing us to the flood tides and to the storms and, and so on. But the reason why he does is because he's wanting to put the wonder and the amazement back into your walk with the Lord. He doesn't want the Christian life to be a ho-hum experience. And so he brings the children of Israel there. And so he brings you to times of which you realize that you have come to impossible situations and then you have to turn and cry out to the Lord. But what a difference it makes when the Lord dries up your Jordan and you're able to tell other folks about the wondrous hand of God not what he did a hundred years ago, but what he did for you on this very day. Amen. It may be in this hour and in this day that God's bringing us to some flood tides in America because he doesn't want us to be bored with him. He wants us again to be fascinated. The disciples were out on that stormy sea trying to bail out all of that water. And Jesus stood on the sides of that deck and that ship and he spoke and the Bible said the seas and the winds obeyed his voice. And the disciples said, What manner of man is this? That even the winds and seas obey his voice. You know, uh, I heard someone the other day talking about how that even in the Baptist churches we're losing our young people. And I have to say that so as I cross this country. I notice it's most of us, you old timers, that are there. And many times the young folks, are. there are many of them here tonight, and praise God, several here throughout this week. But I've got to be honest with you. I, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't raised in church and uh, didn't know much about it. And I used to have a pretty good time even as a young boy out there in the old world. And I wasn't much interested in trading the time I was having out there of coming into some old dried up Baptist church where they wouldn't even groan or say amen or anything else. And I don't want to justify the young people, but I do want to say I don't blame them. Who wants to go and sit down in something like that? But I'm going to tell you what would make the difference in our young people is when God Almighty takes those parents and those grandparents to a Jordan River and there the flood time has come in their lives and it's almost like it's going to wash them away and something's got to happen and the Lord steps down into that flood. Can you see that ark as it comes down? Come on down, boys, and step into that old muddy, you can imagine that old muddy Jordan River. Stand right there. said when the priest's feet stood there that automatically that water stopped flowing and, and built up way back to Zaratan. And the Bible said all the children of Israel walked across not only muddy ground but on dry ground instantaneously now how do you think them saints felt when they went across there and I'm going to tell you something that like I say there was, uh, there was uh, a million and a half two million of them and it wasn't no 50 foot stretch that took place there I'm going to tell you something it took a, a big swath for them to go across on that dry ground and can you imagine the wonder and the amazement 
as they crossed and they looked at that water that had built up there. And I can see a daddy grabbing his son by the hand and saying, Son, don't ever forget this. Look what the Lord has done. And God said, I want you to get some stones and set them up down there and put some up on there because in years to come, I want some grandpas to grab their grandyoungins and say, we're going for a walk down by the Jordan. And when you get down there, you're still going to have that glad gaze in your eye and that thunder in your soul. And you're going to say, grandson, I just want to tell you what God did for me here. Oh, but the Lord would take us through some Jordans so that our youngins and grandyoungins could once again see that radiation in our hearts and in our lives as Jesus has become a marvel and a wonder to us. And we can't help but praise Him for what He's done on our behalf. Oh, what a miracle that was. What an amazing thing that was. And I'm here to tell you, you need to stop and thank God when the troubled waters come because what He's fixing to do is show you refresh and anew what He can do in your life today. Amen. So you won't just have to talk about what happened yesterday. Boy, I'm going to tell you, I love it when I go to the house of God and long before I get up and preach, some saint has been by the Jordan for a few days and didn't know if they was going to get across or not. And the Lord showed up and dried up their waters and delivered them. And before I could ever preach, they'd stand up and say, Preacher, I want to tell you where I've been, what I've gone through. And the Lord has showed up and delivered me. I'm going to tell you, I'm interested in hearing that, ain't you? And our young'uns need to look into our eyes and see that wonder and that marvel and that amazement. He, he I, I say to you, uh, Jesus is in the box and he's all you need because in your wilderness experience he'll be your map and in your water experience he'll be your miracle and he'll be your marvel. You'll find yourself again praising him for saving that son or daughter that you never thought would ever be saved and for delivering you once you lost that job and you thought that was the end of the road and the Lord showed up and met the needs in some other way. And when you came out of that doctor's office and the doctor said, it's just, it's just, this is the last leg of the journey and, and the Lord showed up and now you can praise Him afresh and anew for what He's done in your heart and in your life. You know, it ain't been many years ago. You could go back 50, 60 years before we expected the government and, and, and the workforce and everything else to supply everything for us and, uh, 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 you could go back 50 years, uh, 175 years ago, and the old timers, they had to see a miracle just about every day if they was going to make it. But honey, they didn't have no problem getting in the house of God and that little old sister waving that handkerchief and she wasn't just trying to be emotional. God had just dried up her Jordan. And God had just put meal in an empty barrel. And God had just fed by the ravens. God had done something. And they said, praise. I just want to take a moment to praise the Lord. See, he wants to be your... He could do it another way, but he ain't going to. He wants to be your marvel. He wants to be your map. Now, I want you to notice with me lastly, 
I'm talking about Jesus is in the box. He's all we need in our wilderness experience. He's our map, and in our water experience, he's our, he's our marble. But I want to go uh, one more text. I, I, want to, I want to go over to uh, the book of Joshua again, and I want us to look at uh, chapter number 6, and I want to read verse 1 through verse number Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. The Lord said unto Joshua, now I want you to underscore this in your Bible or in your mind. The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho. See? Now, Jericho hasn't fallen yet. But the Lord is saying to Joshua, I want you to see something. (laughs) I'm going to tell you our problem. We're waiting on God to do something for us when all he wants us to do is to see that he's able to do it. See? He said unto him, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all you men of war, and go around about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpet. And it came to pass that when they made a long blast with the ram's horn, When you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people ascend up every man before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city. Let him that his arm pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpet and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them and the armed men went before the priests and blew with the trumpets and the reward came after the ark and the priests going on blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua, as he commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city. Now, I want you to notice with me that Jesus is in the box. He's all you need in your wilderness experience. He'll be your map. Just follow him. It's simple. Jesus is in the box. He's all you need in your water experiences. He'll be your model. But I want you to notice that, that Jesus is in the box and he's all that you need in your wall experiences because he will be your mind. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, in chapter number 5, Joshua knows the walls have to come down. 
He's out there walking by himself, meditating. I'm sure he's trying to think what his strategy needs to be. Maybe he could have uh, some ladders built and he could climb over the wall. Or perhaps they could construct some battering rams and maybe they could beat into the side of the wall and weaken it and then go through the hole. Or maybe they could take some shovels and they could dig around that wall and maybe it would, it would crumble down. He's no doubt thinking all that through, but the Lord shows up. And he said, Joshua, let me tell you how this is going to happen. I am going to do your thinking. Oh, I love it when he does my thinking for me, don't you? He said, what I want you to do is just same thing I've been telling you the whole time. Let the box do the work. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengtheneth me. And Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. But he said, what I want you to do, he said, I want you to get them priests to carry that ark. And he said, I want them to march around the walls. Now I want you to notice, in the mind of the Lord, it's always contrary to how man would think. Uh, who else would have come up with a strategy that all you need to do is carry a box around the walls and that's going to be sufficient? And that wall's got to come down if they're going to conquer this promised land. It's the first one. And God lays out his strategy. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to get that ark out there and I want you to, I want you to take that ark, I want you to go around those walls and I want you to do it one time uh, for six days, six times. Then he said, on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times. He said, that's, that's my mind on this situation. Uh, you can forget about your ladders and forget about your battering rams and, and you can quit doing your own thinking and trying to theorize and, and trying to uh, understand and mathematically try to come to a conclusion on how to do this because you ain't never going to figure this out. All I want you to do to make it simple is I want you to let that ark go around that city and then you just follow that ark around that city. Now, again, that's not the way the world looks at it. That's not the way they plan. And if you're not careful for your own life, what you'll do is you'll get your little pencil and paper out every time something comes up and you'll start trying to diagnose and figure and say, well, what can I do here and what can I do there? And when you do that, you get out of the mind of Christ. Sort of like the disciples did when Jesus said, can we feed the multitude? Well, they said, we don't have enough money. It's too far to go. And, uh, and we only have five loaves and two fishes. He said, good, set them down. And he began to feed that multitude out of that little bit because he broke it with his own hand. The Lord knows how to bring the walls down, but you're going to let, have to let Him do it. He knows how to deliver in your situation, but you're going to have to let Him be the one to do it. Now, tell you so many times as believers, we see things, we see the walls, we see the water, and we see the wilderness, and, and that's all we can see. But honey, I'm going to tell you, God not only has contrary thoughts, but he has conquering thoughts. God has never one time thought about ever losing any battle. 
and he knew those wells were going to come down and he told Joshua before they ever came down, I want you to see those wells down, boy. I've done delivered those wells and those kings into your hand. What a blessing it is when the Holy Ghost will come in. Boy, you've been wrestling all night long over something. The Holy Ghost will come in and he'll just breathe on you and say, see. Boy, when he says see, if you get to see him, what he's saying, it'll lift that burden right off of you. And you'll get to seeing things like God sees. He said, I want you to see. They're marching around those walls. What God is doing for the children of Israel, first and foremost, is he's causing them to submit to victory. The victory is already won in Christ. Thanks be unto God, which does what? Giveth us the victory. But the only problem is, so many times we don't want to believe Him for the victory. But He's saying to the children of Israel, I want you to see that I'm going to bring those walls down, but you're going to have to submit to that victory. Not only are they going to have to submit to that victory, but I'm going to tell you, the Lord is inviting them to share in that victory. Do you know that the Lord didn't need anybody's help to bring these walls down? It was evident. He has no problem doing what needs to be done. And I'm going to tell you something, He don't need your help, and He don't need my help. All He needs for us to do is to believe Him that He can. But the amazing thing is, is how He wants to let us share in His victory. Thanks be unto God that giveth us the victory. I'm going to tell you, and he even lets us dress up like soldiers. He put, said, put on the whole armor of God. And he calls us that. We, we are soldiers in the army of the Lord. But the truth of the matter is, you ain't in there to win nothing. It's already been won. But yet he's going to let you share in his victory. Boy, that's what it's all about. When you get in the house of God and get to praising the Lord for the victory, you know it ain't something that you won, but it's something He won for you. Amen. And you're riding up and down the road and, and the Holy Ghost gets to showing you some things and you get to praising Him for the victory, not that you've wrought, but thank God He's done for you. Amen. Oh, He can save that boy. He can save that girl. He can do it without you. If you'll just believe Him to do it, Amen. He can do it. He can take care of you in spite of what your financial circumstances is and, and the slowdown on the job. And, and he, he can meet your needs no matter what the doctor said. He can do all of that. All he wants you to do is he wants you to share in it. That's why he's letting you go through the experience. Share with him in the victory. Then he not only wanted to submit to that victory and share in that victory, but did you notice in the text he gave them some trumpets. Those trumpets are called Jobels. And they were blown on the year of Jubilee when, when there was liberty. And what he's saying to the children of Israel is not only am I going to bring these walls down, but I'm going to give this whole land to you. It's going to be liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there are liberty. And he said, when, when, I, when I tell you after marching around that wall seven times, when I tell you so, I want you to blow the trumpet. Woo! And he said, when you do, I want you to do something the lot of Baptists have quit doing. What did he say do? Yeah. They couldn't have been Baptists. <laughs> he said, I want you to shout. <laughs> that was the command in there. Amen. Can I, you know, uh, 
The problem with the prodigal son, the reason why he went off in a far country, you know why he went in a far country? He wanted to have a party. But he didn't realize that his father enjoyed parties too. Did you know that? Because when he came back home, first thing the father said was, put that coat on him, put that ring on his head, and said, we're fixing to kill the fatted calf, we're having a party. <laughs> and if I read that right, the Bible said the elder brother went over on the porch and he heard singing and dancing. I don't know if this is right or not, but sometimes I get in some places where I want to do just a little scoot myself. <laughs> right, maybe it ain't right, I don't know, but I feel like it. A Holy Ghost square dance. Sometimes I think would be in order to praise God for what he's done for us and let the world know that we believed him for what he would do for us. He said, I want in unison every one of you to get up and shout and to praise God. I want you to enter in, thank God, on the, on the part. I want you to shout. You see, Jesus, he's in the box. He's all you need because in your wilderness experience, he's your man. In your water experience, he's your miracle. And in your wall experience, he's your mind. He'll lead you, thank God, to victory. He'll give you victory. Oh, boy, aren't you glad that Jesus is close enough to meet all your needs? Dear sister, back in the mountains of North Carolina, I met years ago, had a little girl. She was 75, had a girl that was 35 with cerebral palsy that she'd raise her daughter. She'd have to change her and bathe her and brush her teeth and everything. The girl had a good mind, but no use, couldn't do anything with her body. She, she could uh, shake her head no, but she'd have to move her foot for yes and just sort of learn to communicate with her through some of the little actions that she would do. And uh, But you could feel the presence of the Lord in that place. God was real, just them two people there. And I asked her one day, 75 years old, I said, Sister Marcel, how do you take care of little Margaret? Margaret weighed about 60 pounds, and Marcel, being 75 years old, just humped over. Oh, she said, Preacher, it's simple. I said, is it? She said, yeah. said, every morning when I wake up, I got little Margaret laying there right beside me. He said, I just look up to heaven and say, Jesus, would you help me take little, care of little Margaret today? And she said, Preacher, he has for 35 years. Mm-hmm. Honey, he's close enough. And he intends on being close enough to take care of you in your wildernesses, in your water, and in your walls. If you'll just say, Lord, I want to believe you for what you can do. That's beyond possibility as far as I'm concerned. No doubt there are many needs here tonight. Youngins, grand youngins, personal needs, financial needs, physical needs. I'm going to tell you, he's close enough and he wants to meet those needs. Because he wants you to be able to shout with him. <laughs> He wants you to have that miracle and that wonder and that marvel as to how great Jesus is on your behalf.